History This Week, May 3rd, 1995. I'm Sally Helm. The water off the coast of Charleston is notoriously dark. Underwater, you sometimes can't see two feet in front of you. But luckily, the divers in the water this morning have equipment on their side. It tells them there is something big in the darkness below. They dive to the ocean floor and start digging through the muck. One of them touches something. It feels like a hinge. And that's when he starts to think, this is it. The hatch of a long-lost submarine. (laughs) Man, we're grinning from here to here. It's the Hunley. The Hunley is a Civil War-era Confederate boat, the first submarine ever used successfully in combat. It set the groundwork for today's submarine technology, and it sank a Union ship in 1864. Then it disappeared. The crew, the submarine, gone. Over the decades, people went looking for it. Some of them for problematic reasons. Confederate sympathizers who wanted to find a relic but also scientists with actual important questions. How did a submarine pull off a successful attack in the 1860s? If we find that boat, what could we learn? In the year 2000, a team finally pulls the Hunley out of the water. Archaeologists start excavating the wreck, and they start to realize something very strange has happened here. They find the crew just sitting at their stations. That's where the mystery really starts. In previous sinkings, the crew had really been clustered at the exits, but instead this crew is all just kind of sitting there. Today, what happened to the Hunley and her crew? It's the story of a fateful Civil War mission, a century of searching, and a scientist with a new theory about those final minutes. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. To learn the story of the Hunley, we called Rachel Lance. She's a scientist and a consulting professor at Duke University with a PhD in biomedical engineering. She has a new book coming out called In the Waves, My Quest to Solve the Mystery of a Civil War Submarine. That mysterious Civil War submarine being the Hunley. In the 1860s, submarines haven't really been used in warfare. There have been a few attempts, but... Submarines were very much still considered an ungentlemanly mode of warfare. You were supposed to follow the rules and manners of warfare. And submarines, because they were hidden, were not considered part of that. 
The phrase that they used was infernal machines. So submarines were supposed to be something that just came straight out of hell. When the Civil War begins, the Confederacy is fighting to protect the institution of slavery and keep some four million people in bondage. And they're really unprepared. They don't really have a Navy to speak of. The highest estimate I've ever seen for the number of ships they had was 10. So the Confederacy started paying private citizens to build warships. Some of the people who decided to do that were Horace Hunley and his associates. Horace Hunley owned a sugarcane plantation and slaves. And he decided to use some of his wealth for the war effort to build a submarine. The Hunley was his third try. Actually, when it was first built, it was named the Fish Boat. And the submarine was not very advanced. I think the polite word would be rudimentary. (laughs) What would be the impolite word? The impolite word would be terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) The boat is made out of recycled scrap iron. It was thought to have been hammered out of the iron from the boiler of a steamship. And it was about 40 feet long. It's a narrow cylinder, four feet from floor to ceiling, meaning there's just enough space for the men to sit or crouch inside. Each end of the cylinder is hammered into a point to make the boat more hydrodynamic. It has a propeller that's controlled from the inside. It was a man-powered submarine. Inside the boat, you have eight of the crew. One guy's piloting. The crew has to physically crank the propeller to drive the boat. Hunley and his crew start trying it out in Mobile, Alabama. And it's actually going okay. The news starts spreading about this successful submarine. So the Confederate forces have it shipped up to Charleston, South Carolina. Horace Hunley himself is captaining it. And these official trials don't go as well. The boat sinks twice. In one trial, Hunley himself is actually killed. After that, they renamed it from Fishboat to the H.L. Hunley. By February of 1864, Confederate forces are getting desperate. Charleston, the last major city they hold, is under blockade, surrounded by Union ships. The city can't survive long. And so, despite the Hunley's terrible track record, the Confederates decide to use it to try and break the blockade. What the Hunley wanted to do was sink a specific ship the USS Housatonic. What they wanted to do was take their submarine out and jab it in the side with this torpedo and blow it up and sink it. You said jab it in the side with a torpedo. What is the deal there? On the front end of its bow, they have a spar. And so this is basically just like a jousting pole made of metal and wood. And at the end of this spar, they have this copper bomb that's about the size of a beer keg. It's a pressurized torpedo. So when they touch it to the side of the Housatonic, it'll go off and blow up the ship. On February 17, 1864, the crew of the Hunley cranks their submarine towards the mouth of Charleston Harbor, where the Housatonic sits. Because part of their boat is actually on the surface, they are spotted by the Housatonic crew. So the Housatonic crew has this terrifying few minutes where they see this submarine coming. They see this, like, dark sliver of the Hunley approaching on the surface. 
they don't know what it is exactly, but they've heard these rumors from the Union about the submarines of the South, about the South trying these new technologies. And they just scramble as hard as they can to try and do what they can to save their own ship. They put it in reverse, they try to pull up the anchor. Some people are trying to train their guns. Other people have their personal firearms and they're shooting at his approach. But it's too late. The Hunley rams its bomb into the hull and there's an explosion. The blast kills five Union sailors, injures two. The rest realize the ship is going down and they make a run for it. So they're all climbing into the rigging, and as the ship sinks, it settles in a location where that rigging is all still sticking up out of the water. And so that's what saves pretty much all the entire crew, is they're able to just hang on to these sails and these ropes and these beams until they can come get rescued. After the attack, the Hunley simply disappears. Despite the sinking of the Housatonic, the Union blockade holds. One year later, to the day, the city of Charleston falls. Soon after, the Confederacy surrenders. Enslaved people are released from bondage all over the South. Immediately after the war, salvage divers begin pulling up the wreckage of boats, including the Housatonic, to repurpose the metal. But the Hunley never materializes. Over the years, it becomes kind of a mystery. Why hasn't this one boat turned up? The search comes to feature a few big names, including a circus magnate. P.T. Barnum, always the showman, did (laughs) offer a reward for finding the Hunley. Obviously, it didn't really lead to anything. For a hundred years, nobody comes close. But then, towards the end of the 20th century, a few things happen. In the 1970s, a man named E. Lee Spence says he thinks he's found it, that he kind of just stumbled into it on a fishing trip. He says his trap snagged something, and it was the Hunley. He'd been hunting for her for years. But... Spence never got the necessary legal permissions to do a big underwater archaeological dig. So it's not totally clear what he found. In the 80s, another explorer enters the search. Clive Kessler is an author. He's most well known for his Dirk Pitt series, which are an adventure series. Kessler wrote in his novels about a fictional organization called the National Underwater and Marine Agency. And then he created a nonprofit with the same name to search for missing wrecks in real life. He found about 60. And in his search for the Hunley, he zeroes in on the same patch of ocean that Spence had documented in the 70s. And there's something strange about this place Kessler is searching. It's pretty far from the place where people thought the Hunley must have sunk. So everybody was looking between the wreck of the Housatonic, which is a very well-known wreck site, and the shore. So everyone for 100 years was looking in the wrong place. This time, they have the permissions they need. And on May 3rd, 1995, Custler's divers get a promising reading from their magnetometer. They dig through the muck, 
and... The portholes are there, the brace is there, the diving plane's there, the snorkel's there. It's the Hunley. The divers are celebrating, everyone's excited. But it takes a few years of prep work and legal wrangling until finally, in the year 2000, the Hunley is raised out of the water. Even though this submarine is still covered in just like the accumulated crud of 150 years in the ocean, you can still tell its shape. So there's this really beautiful moment where it emerges and you can actually identify it as what was promised. There is a team of archaeologists waiting to excavate the Hunley, see what lessons it might hold for scientists and historians. And after carefully digging through layers of muck, just 10 centimeters at a time, they find something that tells them this is definitely 100% the Hunley. As the archaeologists are pulling bones carefully and meticulously out of the inside of the hull, archaeologist Maria Jacobson pulls out a gold coin. There's a story associated with the captain of the Hunley, George Dixon. He was a Confederate first lieutenant, and he'd been shot in the leg at the Battle of Shiloh, which would probably have been fatal in the 1860s. But the story was that the bullet hit a gold coin in his pocket, so he survived. And so there's this moment where she's sitting there and she's just carefully squirting this little thing in her hand, and as she squirts it and rinses it, you see this like gold disc emerge. It's warped, it's very clearly been shot. It even has Dixon's initials inscribed on the back. So there's no question. This is the Hunley, and these bones belong to the captain. As the archaeologists keep digging, they uncover something really strange, eerie. The crew is still at their battle stations. They haven't moved. The pilot of the boat, George Dixon, actually is still seated. He's still seated on his little bench, and he's just kind of slumped over. Why didn't the crew try to open the hatches? Did all eight men just stay at their posts, quietly waiting for death? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Reports from other submarine wrecks were totally different. One of the words that they used was ghastly. So they were saying that the remains were ghastly and they were contorted. Some of them were curled up in fetal position down on the bottom of the hull. Some of them were trying to bash their way out. The archaeologists are intrigued and baffled. They already know that there's no damage to the hull of the submarine, so she went down intact. If the crew of the Hunley was in trouble then, they could easily have tried to escape. But they didn't. So how is it possible that an entire crew died where they sat? 
There are a lot of theories about what happened to the Hunley. And Dr. Lance isn't the first scientist to go looking for answers. The Naval History and Heritage Command, the South Carolina Hunley Commission, and Clemson University are just some of the people who have been looking into this for years. The first and most prominent theory is that the crew asphyxiated, that the boat either sank to the bottom or was intentionally parked on the seafloor to wait out the Union's response. Oxygen depleted, CO2 built up, and the crew either died from too little oxygen or too much CO2. A lot of people looking into this mystery think that this theory is pretty viable. But Dr. Lance sees a hole. Carbon dioxide is very painful. I've experienced it myself. It's extremely unpleasant. I never want to do it again. And carbon dioxide also causes panic attacks. Her calculations found that the crew of the Hunley would have felt the CO2 before they ran out of oxygen. It would have been a pretty painful heads up that something was wrong and they would have tried to escape. For her, this is enough to rule out asphyxiation. The next theory is the oldest. It's called the lucky shot theory. The lucky shot theory came about um, fairly quickly after the submarine sank. The Union sailors say, maybe we sank it because they were firing at it. Now, that was plausible at that time because they didn't know where the boat was yet. But this thing was found 310 meters away from the Housatonic. So if they shot this thing and they flooded it, how did it drift 310 meters out to sea? Pretty much everyone we talked to agrees that this is probably the least likely explanation of all. If the crew knew their boat was compromised, why wouldn't they try to evacuate? So here is where Dr. Lance decides to test her own theory. When someone dies near a bomb, I always suspect the bomb first. She's an expert in blast trauma, and she wonders if that's part of the story. Now, remember, the Hunley itself does not appear to have been damaged by the bomb, but the explosion still could have hurt the crew. Everyone assumes that a bomb is going to just throw everyone everywhere. All the bones will be broken and everything will be shattered, and that's just not true at all by any stretch. A lot of people, when they're hit by a blast, they'll end up being unable to breathe because their lungs have been ruptured by the shock wave or by the pressure wave from the blast. So when I looked at this and I looked at the size of the bomb and the distance from the charge and all the skeletons sitting there, and I saw that they were uninjured skeletally, that is what blast trauma looks like. To test this, she needs to know whether the bomb could have generated a shockwave that killed the crew of the Hunley. And so? I built a scale model of the submarine. So I have a scale model of the Hunley. My model is six and a half feet long. I did everything to one-sixth scale, and I built scale model charges as well. Charges are basically a mini version of the bomb that the Hunley was carrying. I attached them with spars, and then we took them out to a farm pond at a local tobacco farm. She sets up her computers on a little pier that reaches into the center of the pond, looking out over fields of tobacco and sweet potatoes. And she sets off this experimental explosion. Dr. Lance is measuring the strength of the shockwave. 
The formal definition of a shockwave is a pressure wave that moves faster than the speed of sound. So when sound moves, like me talking to my microphone, what I'm actually doing is knocking these air molecules into one another. I'm moving the few with my vocal cords. These bump into the next, those bump into the next, so on. With a shock wave, that happens so fast that these air molecules accumulate at the front of it. It's this line of like extreme density has really high energy and it's going super fast and then it keeps propagating outward. You may have felt a small shockwave if, for example, you've had your hand next to a balloon when it pops. When a big shockwave hits your lungs, it can be deadly. And Dr. Lance's experiments showed this could have been what happened on the Hunley. The shockwave might have hit their lungs and killed them almost instantly. Now, Dr. Lance's theory isn't universally agreed upon. The Friends of the Hunley, a nonprofit that manages the physical restoration of the boat, they publicly stated that they don't think her theory is conclusive. One archaeologist on that restoration, Michael Scafuri, said he's not quite ready to eliminate the asphyxiation theory. He says the crew could have passed out before they felt the CO2. As the oxygen levels drop, they're going to slowly become drowsy, they're going to fall asleep, and that's going to turn into unconsciousness. And they wouldn't realize that the air has gone foul and they were going to asphyxiate. In that case, they could be sitting at their stations and slowly succumb to this. As it stands, there's no way to know for sure what happened to those eight men. And any evidence of damaged lung tissue was gone a long time ago. But Dr. Lance thinks this is as close to a solution as she's ever going to get. The results that I got from that are not 100% conclusive. I don't think you would ever prove it short of building a full-size Hunley and putting volunteers in there. But as far as the scientific data that is possible and reasonable, then yes, I stand by my work. So do you believe that the mystery of the Hunley is solved? I do, yeah. I've moved on to other research. For Dr. Lance... This 150-year-old mystery is finally solved. But other people looking at the same problem still aren't convinced. So they keep going back to look for something concrete, airtight, hoping that the one last clue they need is sitting right there in that rusted-out hull, waiting to be discovered. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on history today. This podcast is produced by McKamey Lynn, Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.